You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. We're in this series called Summer Playlist, and uh, we know the power of music. We all love music. You're in your car, you crank your windows down, and you just, you know, crank up the music, and you jam out. And these songs, these, this music has a, a powerful impact on us. And, and in part, that's why when we gather together in, in worship gatherings, is why we sing, right? A lot of times you say, hey, I love that worship song. Uh, and, and what we sometimes say when we you know, say, oh, I really love worship or you know, this kind of thing, what we, we get confused, right? Because worship is how we live and all the things that we do in our life. It's not strictly music, but it's the power of worship, our power of music in worship music that helps it really excel to the next level. So what we're doing over the next couple of weeks is we're kind of unpacking some popular songs. If you didn't know that song, uh, obviously you didn't watch the Super Bowl like six or seven years ago. That song was written by... Uh, Coldplay, a very famous, I think, like probably one of the most famous bands in the world, a guy named Chris Martin wrote it. It has a, uh, a funny story uh, about how and why he wrote it, because really that song, in essence, to him, means absolutely nothing. So that's the end of the sermon, so we can call it a day and go to lunch. But uh, I think the beauty of music sometimes is that when we hear a song, even though maybe the original author didn't have this intent behind the song, when we listen to it, we can hear maybe something a little different. And so this morning, we're going to kind of unpack this song, uh, but more importantly, we're going to unpack the truths of Scripture. But one of the things I want to do is I want to take us to one of the most beautiful pictures in Scripture. Now, as I do this, I'll warn you, there is going to be some difficulty in this. There's going to be some, some moments where it, it might feel dark around you. It may feel kind of tight like, like a cave, but if you'll stay in the groove with me and stay walking through the Scripture, I promise you uh, at, at one point we will ascend to kind of see the light at the end of this cave. So, you, can you do that? Can, can you stay in with me for a few minutes? Nod. Appreciate it. Thank you. So we're coming off of the 4th of July weekend. This weekend that kind of for everyone in this country represents the ultimate word, freedom. And so I wanted to ask you this question, just internally think about this. What is freedom? What is freedom? The, 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 diction, the dictionary answer is freedom is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read that definition, the first thing that kind of pops to my heart, and then my mind secondly, is there has to be more than that, right? Like There has to be more to freedom than just this idea that one wants and one desires something, and if they get that thing, then that is freedom to them. And if nothing stands in their way of getting that thing, then that is freedom. But as you kind of think about freedom, and we, we dive deeper into this, this topic of what is freedom, you may ask the, the question of like, okay, is everyone's definition of freedom the same? Like, the neighbor to your left or to your right, when they define freedom, do they define it similarly to you? 
or maybe, maybe this, because if freedom is just free for everyone and they can do whatever they want, is freedom really like this veiled anarchist picture, right? Where there's no rules and whatever makes you feel free, that's freedom? Maybe another way to say it, you've heard it in country music and all kinds of things, is freedom actually free? So in our broken world, what we need to understand about this idea of freedom, is that, especially according to that definition that we were given, as one person finds freedom, their ability to express that freedom and to even experience that freedom will then hinder another person's experience to find freedom. Because... It's their idea of freedom, and it may not be the same definition or idea of freedom for you. So bringing it back home for you personally, where do you experience freedom in your life? Where do you experience freedom? Have you ever actually experienced it? Or or have you experienced the kind of shadowed version of someone else's opinion of what freedom is? As we unpack this biblically here in just a moment, what we need to begin to first understand is that when we're talking about this idea of freedom, especially according to the definition that we were given according to our our, our dictionaries, that freedom is directly correlated and connected to truth. And and this is a a pinpoint. This is why a a direct nail, shot to the heart, whatever the phrase is, that that truth cannot be relative. One cannot have their truth or their freedom, and then you have your truth and your freedom. Why? Because eventually those truths or freedom will interject, right? They will will come together, and they will then explode away from each other because that's your freedom, that's your truth, this is my truth, this is my freedom, and yet they cannot jive together in the same place if they're not the same exact definition. Like if there are two different ideas of truth and two different ideas of freedom, then they cannot live in the same world together. So what do we do with that? Like as Christ followers, as people who believe that we have found the truth, the way and the life in Jesus, how do we function in a world that would say there's there's a vast number of truths, there's a vast number of ideas, How do we live in a way where we experience freedom and that we can share that freedom with others? You want to hear the secret of freedom this morning? That's not a rhetorical question. Here's the answer. It's not about you. That's lovely, isn't it? Freedom. It's not about you. Stand with me. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. Really just ending and beginning there because we're going to read one verse. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You may be seated. So there are, there's a couple of things to understand here when we start talking about this idea of freedom, and it's not about you. There are a number of quotes in the world that will look to say something similar about this idea of freedom, but they're all missing something. There's a couple of quotes I'm going to throw up here. One of them is from Abraham Lincoln. It says, freedom is not the right to do what we want, but what we 
ought to. Hugh Douglas, a, a famous NFL player, says, freedom is not doing what you want when you want. Freedom is the power to do what has to be done when it needs to be done. And these are quotes that we, we love those taglines of freedom. But in all three of these quotes, the definition of freedom is still hinging upon one thing. What one believes is right. In, in other words, that their ability to express freedom, to experience freedom, all hinges upon their idea of truth. And this is dangerous. Here, here, here's, one, here's one reason why it's dangerous. In Saudi Arabia, right now, there are entire laws, systems, and the entire government is set up in a way to suppress the freedom of women, right? As a woman, when you are born in Saudi Arabia, in their culture, you have a man who is in charge of you. And you will have that man or a man in charge of you for the rest of your life. So if you're born, you have a father. If your father dies, your uncle's then put in charge of you. If you then get married, which you don't get to choose that, the husband, by the way, you will then be given to your husband, and your husband will rule over your life in Saudi Arabia. And they will couch all of this in freedom and in truth, right? They, they will say that this is how, quote-unquote, God made it. This is, this is the world, and they follow the Islamic law and the teachings that they would say of, Quran, of the Quran and Muhammad. And these beliefs are their truth. So they then give freedom over the people to watch over these women and experience freedom in this way. Now, opposite of that, you have a countless number of NGOs. These are, these are groups that go out to kind of battle this idea and this thinking in countries like Saudi Arabia. And they go into these countries and they go, no, 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 no. The way that you're doing things is oppressive to women. Now, you look at these two different organizations, both of them believe a simple truth, right? They, they have an idea that this is how the world should function, and this is how you experience freedom. One will say, in, in the way that we kind of honor and, and protect and maybe help guide our women, this is our way of experiencing freedom. The other will say, in the way that you honor and guide and protect, your oppression is thick, and you don't let those people experience anything because all you do is dictate for their life. But both of them have a stance in which they would say, this is truth. This is freedom. Both groups will have a belief that what they're doing is right. Now, a little side note right here. One person may look at this whole situation and they'll blame religion for this situation. Now, let me, let me say, to a certain degree... If someone went that route, they wouldn't be wrong in all cases, right? Because religion has been oppressive in, in our history. And, and if we can't at least begin to understand that, then, then we need to do a history lesson, right? Religion, at times, in our history, has been extremely oppressive to people. We've done all these terrible things in the name of whatever our God is. However... This same person, likely an atheist, right, who's going to take this and go, well, that situation in Saudi Arabia is all because of religion. And if we're going to stereotype in this world, they have a coexist sticker on, the, on their bumper, right? They, they vote a certain way. They do this, right? We're going to just go there this morning, right? We're going to do that. But they, they go this certain direction. They say, hey, 
all people who are religious, they do this to the world. Now, let's, let's unpack and really destroy their argument. So, if, if the atheists believe this, why does the atheist believe that the human wants religion? So that they can justify the things that go around them. So, an atheist would say that we have a worldview that says we need a God because we want to be able to justify what goes on around us. Okay, let's pretend for a moment that we can get rid of God, right? That God is dead in the words of Nietzsche, right? Hunter, that quote was for you. Misquoted and everything. God is dead in our situation. Let's go back to the atheist worldview. Where do they get their morals from? Where do they get their idea of how we live? From whatever they find their truth. So then let's give them an answer, right? So everyone's going to find their own truth in their world because there's not one thing that's driving everything. So what if their truth, I don't know, in the words of you know, Charles Darwin, is just survival of the fittest? Or natural selection? What if somebody woke up one day and was like, you know what, I really want to oppress women and I don't really need a reason because this is how I'm going to do it. In the atheist worldview, would their idea of oppressing women be wrong? No. Because there's no moral compass. If that's how they find freedom, that's what's free to them. That's their truth. Whatever terrible or even great things that I want to do in my life, that's on me. Who cares what you think? Who cares what your little G God think or big G God think as an atheist would say? Because what I want to do is my truth. And it's my freedom. But they're wrong. Right? Because they can come up with this idea and this understanding and we can try to put together all these woven pieces of why our world works the way it works. But the reality is they would come up to a point and say, they were born that way and it's their truth. Well, that is a completely, totally broken, illogical statement. Right? So, getting back to... Thanks for you know, letting me go down that, that little side point. Getting back to this idea of how everything hinges on, on truth and, and freedom, the first thing that we need to begin to understand and grasp about freedom and the statement that it's not about you is the you in it's not about you means that your thoughts, your motives, your way of seeing the world needs to fade away. It needs to cease. In order for us to begin to understand and experience freedom, the way that you see the world, the way that you think, the way that you experience, and the way that you then explain that experience really doesn't matter that much. Let's unpack this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus is about to teach His disciples. He says, Then Jesus told His disciples, if anyone would come after me, meaning if anyone would like follow me, take up their cross and follow me is where he's going. Let him deny himself. Like his thoughts, his words, his expression, and take up his cross and follow Jesus. Forever who would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So Jesus, speaking with his closest followers here, the disciples, tells them right before this moment 
that he's going to suffer on the cross and die. This is where he gets into a, a, an exchange with Peter, and Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And Jesus is like, stay back, Satan. Don't worry about this. I got this. You know who I am. And then he gets to this moment, and he tells them, hey, here's how I'm going to suffer, but here's how you're going to suffer eventually to find freedom. Take up your cross. Deny yourselves. Paul's not in this moment. He, he doesn't see this face-to-face with Jesus. But he echoes this statement to the church in Galatia. Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. I told you this was going to get a little dark, right? Like, you want to find the answer to freedom? Hey, it's not about you. Woo! Cheerful. The bottom line is that the beginning of freedom in this world, in, in this life, is the end of you. The beginning of freedom is the end of you. And I promise you that if you'll lean in for the next few minutes, by the end of this, we're going to be looking at the stars and we're going to be seeing how they shine for Him, not for you. This world doesn't revolve around you, even though we like to think it does. I mean, don't we? What do you want to do for dinner? What do you want to go on vacation? What really makes you happy? What do you want to go to college? What do you want to do for the rest of your life? You know, what's you? Right? You go on that first date and everyone wants to know, like, what moves you? You meet that new friend. What moves you? You go meet up with your family on holidays and everyone's asking the you, 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 you question. Our world doesn't revolve around you. Doesn't revolve around me. And the first step for us to understand freedom and like experience it in our bones and the revelation that we will see every single day is we need to own the truth that this world and everything in it isn't about you. True freedom is allowing God to strip us of ourselves. It's like this whole new outlook on life. It's like that moment where Saul becomes Paul and the scales have fallen from his eyes and he all of a sudden sees the grandeur and the beauty and the splendor of God and the entire cosmos because he gets it. It's no longer about me. And when we can allow the Holy Spirit to do that work inside of us, we will begin to see like we've never seen before. The first step to freedom is it's not about you. The second thing, we need to begin to understand that the it's not about you, the it isn't about you. So the first one was like, the you doesn't matter, right? The second one is, we got to define what it is. And I've already kind of gone there. But the world isn't about you. Your job isn't about you. Your family isn't about you. As a parent, I have felt the stress of wanting to see my child come to faith in Christ. And, and if you're a parent in the room, you, you probably have experienced this to some degree, right? You, you've prayed, you've stressed, you've poured yourself over, like, am I doing all of the right things? Am I making sure I pray over them? Am I teaching the explicit gospel? Like, am I making them know that it's not about necessarily what they do, although what they do matters, 
but it's more about their heart and how they follow Jesus. And does a seven-year-old or a four-year-old actually get that? And I can, as a parent, I can go into lockdown mode because I can be so stressed out that I don't want my kid to spend eternity away from God. But in that moment, you know what I've done? I've made it about me. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. See, I hear this statement, and I go, it's my responsibility for my kid's salvation. Right? Like, Micah or Maggie will come to faith in Christ because of how good I am as a parent. That would be taken out of context. That's not how God works. So we begin to work overtime so that our kids won't depart. And then, since I'm a pastor, it's even better, right? When I, was, when I was a PK, my dad was a pastor, and I was the kid who, quote-unquote, was a hellion, right? Like, I was terrible. Everyone in the church was like, man, that died. how can he lead our youth ministry if he can't even lead his own son, right? Go back to his Bible verse, says, if he can't raise kids, you know, he can't be an elder, yada, yada, yada. And I come home, and my dad's like, everything you do reflects on me. And I'm going, yeah, I don't care about you right now either, right? Because I'm 16, Right? But there's this stress, right? Y'all get what I'm saying? There's this idea that like, it's all on me. And we get to passages like Ephesians 1, verse 4. It says, even as He chose us. He, he chose us. Did you see that? Even as God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Before you ever physically messed up you were chosen you were chosen for what that you should be holy and blameless before him not because of your good actions but because of the blood of jesus in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through jesus christ according to our good works according to how many times we went to church according to how many times we gave how much we gave how often we served, how good we were, how well we spoke. No. According to the purpose of His will. So when I think about leading my kids to Christ, I begin there. When I think about some of you in this room, right, who, who I want to see walk closer with Jesus. Some of you I want to see walk with Jesus at all or people in our community or kids that I run into on the street or the, the person you know, bagging my groceries and I think, I gotta present the gospel really well so that they'll go to faith, they'll come to faith in Christ. No, it's not about how well I do it. It is about how we do it. Romans 10 makes it very clear. People don't just come to faith. Your good works don't just lead them to faith. What does Paul say? It has to be proclaimed, it has to be said to them, spoken, because if it's not spoken, how can they hear? And if they can't hear, how can they believe? But the comfort, 1 Corinthians 3, I planted, this is Paul speaking, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants, Paul, it's a pretty, like, if you don't know, Paul's a big deal, right? Like planted churches, led a lot of people to Jesus. And what does he say? So neither he who plants, nor he who waters anything, but only God gives the growth. 
Like you, we see these amazing preachers, these guys who can just like preach me under the table. Like they're just amazing. We're sitting around. How did you come up with that? Ah, right, right, right. It ain't them. The, I mean, I, I've sat in the room. It feels like hundreds of times now with amazing preachers. And I know, at least the ones that I've sat with, they hold the same confidence. Their sermon could have been a dud that day. But God can still make somebody alive. You know what I mean? I, I put duds up a lot. And yet somehow God makes things grow. That's, that's a comfort. That should be a comfort to you in your workplace when you got that person who you're like, I, I, I kind of want to show them who Jesus is. I want to talk to them about Jesus, but I don't know how they're going to respond. I don't know how they're going to feel. Number one thing, if you don't, who will? Right? Like, if you don't, who will? That's your calling as a Christ follower. Take it. Share it. But then number two, it doesn't really matter how well you did it. I mean, there's some, you know, one plus one equals two we want to make sure we say, right? <laughs> like, you can't just say the name Jesus and all of a sudden, oh, clear. Maybe, maybe, maybe you can. I'm not trying to put God in a box. But generally speaking, his word says you've got to kind of present the idea that, hey, you know, we're sinners. Fallen from God. That's not the end of the story, though. Jesus came to make it right. And if you put your faith in him, you can be reunited with God. Repent and believe. And those little words, that little 15 seconds right there, eternity can change. Not because I was eloquent. Not because I was good. But because God is. The weight, on, the weight of the world, the weight of everything, isn't on you. Your call isn't to be necessarily a theologian. You call us to know God, and you call us to be faithful. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, if you're a Christ follower, he began that good work, right? He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So tying all of this back to freedom, to our idea of everything, that job that you have that's stressing you out, it isn't really about the job, and it really isn't about you. So maybe you should trust God more and let Him control the outcome. Like, you heard that old thing in sports or, or maybe some other leadership talk, only, you know, you can only control the things you can control. You can't control everything about your job. So quit stressing about it, right? I know it's really easy to say that when you're in the middle of stress. Like, that's the most, like, hurtful thing you can say to somebody who's like, I'm really stressful and anxiety. Well, just stop it, right? Just quit. Well, there was like an old uh, Mad TV, you know, quote. I forget what it was. It's like, just stop it. He just kept screaming at every moment. Like, the person's like suffering. Just stop it, right? That, that's not really what I'm necessarily saying. Because I'm not just telling you to stop it. I'm telling you to give it to God. <laughs> I'm not saying, hey, you, by the might of your works and by the, the sweat of your brow to just quit, I'm saying instead of you holding on to it so tightly and trying to support all the weight of whatever it is in your job, your relationship, that friend, that family member, whatever it is, maybe take that same effort and go, God, begin to take it. Begin, begin like, and know that it's a process, right? Like if we hit our knees in the morning at 6 a.m., we go, God, I need to take this stress from me away today, and at 6.05, it's not gone, God still loves you, right? Like he hasn't abandoned you 
He hasn't said no necessarily. Maybe he said the refiner's fire. Like work through this. Like maybe part of the responsibility and the, the maturation of you and your life as a Christ follower is to go through something you don't like. Because it's not about you. Because as we go through things that we don't like, he makes us more like him. And if the ultimate goal isn't about you, when he makes you more like him, he will let you shine to others in a way that you've never, ever thought of. Isaiah 43, verse 1, beginning of verse 1, kind of echoes this whole idea that this world isn't about us. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine, and when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers... They shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love, I love you. This is the Creator of the world, of all things. Speaking to your hearts right now. Speaking to my heart. You are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you. Peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, I am with you. I, I will gather, I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This world and everything in it wasn't made for you. It was made for Him. And the moment that we can begin to hold on to that truth, that freedom, will be the moment that you understand and experience and walk in the freedom of Jesus. The weight of the world isn't on you. It's not your job to win every single disciple. It's God's. Right? When we read that at the end of Revelation, that every man, all, all tribes, all tongues will profess the name of Jesus, it ain't because you did it necessarily. Right? But it was because you were faithful and God used you. You planted, you watered, He made it grow. In, in the brokenness in our family. When we think we, ha we have to fix it, I have to do these things right. God's called us to be faithful. And to be faithful means to recognize that there may be some mud and there may be some stuff that we have to walk through. But in the end, all of it, every single thing that you go through, the battles, the victories, the losses, all of it is for the glory of God. And if you function in the way that you were created, God says we will experience that glory with Him. So, when Chris Martin coins a song, look at the stars. Look how they shine for you. 
into everything that you do. Yeah, they were all yellow. The truth of it is, is Coldplay was recording at a studio in London. And it was like 3 o'clock in the morning, and he, he was tired, Chris Martin was. So he walks outside, just catch some bre- a, a breath of fresh air. He leans up against the building, and he kind of looks in the sky, and he sees the stars. And he just is stuck in awe and in wonder. And he goes, man, this is for something. Romans tells us, the Psalms tell us, that this world proclaims a creator. Like, picture yourself in that moment, 3 o'clock in the morning. I know most of you are going, I'd rather be asleep. But imagine it's 3 o'clock and you don't hate it. And you're looking up and you, you see a beautiful sky lit up. Every single one of those that was placed in, in the heavens, every single person on the earth was created to magnify and glorify the name of Jesus. And when we begin to own that, to recognize who we are, and to say, I am a son or daughter of the living King, and I was made to shine for the Lord, then we find freedom. That's when you find it. In the doldrum parts of your world, in the parts that you don't get excited about, that's where you find it. In, in the little things at your work that you just absolutely can't stand doing, right? We've all got them. Those things that you don't want to do. I don't know why your boss made you do it. He's the worst. She's the worst. Whatever it is. If you'll do it to the glory of God, it has a purpose, right? Like every single thing in this world points back to Him. So why wouldn't everything that we try to do point back to Him? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 5, it says, For what, if, what, what we proclaim is not ourselves, because it's not about us, but Jesus Christ as Lord is what we proclaim, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, the glory of God. We have it in jars of clay, to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We have this treasure, the glory of God. Like the whole world, and he said, I'm going to give you the treasure to display it to every single one that I am God. Amy and I went to a church years ago. And one of the things that they had on the wall as you walked out was this big slogan. And it said, found people, find people. Found people, find people. What if your life became less about you and more about the proclamation of the glory of God?
Like, what if, what if you began to function in the experience of being found in God? What if it wasn't just, oh, I gotta run this errand, I gotta do this thing, I gotta go through all of these normal things in our day in and day out routine that we just kind of overlook? Maybe we even look at them and, and we despise them. But what if we begin to look at all of the little things and say, man, this is the freedom of God that He's given me, and I'm gonna function as a found person to go find people, and I'm gonna point back to God and everything I do because you know what? He's put the treasure inside of me. What if you and I could do that, church? How different would your job be? How different would your home life be? How different would Macon be? Or, or Forsyth, or Warner Robins, or, or wherever you call home. What if we could begin to truly live, love God, love people, and invest in His kingdom? You've got it inside of you. And if you don't, all it takes is a simple step. Turn from yourself and put your faith in Jesus. And you are a treasure of God. Let's function in that. Let's, let's function in the freedom that we've been given. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we come to the Father through Him. That's the freedom we need. We need freedom from death and from eternal pain. And He's given us the answer every single day. Let's function in it. Let's live. Let's sing Hosanna to the top of our lungs and let's pour everything we have into the living King. Are you with me? Let's pray. God, I thank You for who You are. Lord, I pray that we can function in the way that you've designed us to, the way you've called us to, that we'll be free people, that we'll be found people, that we'll go find people, that we, we will know no matter what the circumstances of the world tell us, that we're chosen, adopted, redeemed. That when we are struggling as parents, when we're struggling in that job, when we're struggling in that relationship, that you will declare to us that we are free free from anxiety, free from stress, free from depression, free from the struggles of this life. Because we can put our faith and our hope in You and every single move that we make is a move that glorifies You in this world and the next. Help us to move in that. Call us to Your name. And God's people said...